Redfield Arts Audio. Hi, this is Mark Redfield. Welcome to the podcast. As always, thank you for listening and thank you for subscribing. Our guest on the podcast today is playwright Ilana Gartner. And um, I wanted to know more about this play that she wrote, a new contemporary play called Runtime Error. And uh, I am lucky and fortunate enough to be playing one of the characters in its first virtual reading in May of 2021 with Transformation Theatre. And so let's get right to it. Um, There are links in the text of this podcast to follow the uh, progress and the life of Runtime Error. This conversation was recorded by telephone in May 2021. So Runtime Error is uh, it is a full-length play. Um, I wrote it um, I wrote it in the aftermath of Me Too, but also really um, in the aftermath of the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. Um, it was a culmination, though, not just of that. Um, I, I have um, my father is a therapist, and his work focuses on men who have been sexually abused or raped as boys. And he's been doing that work since the 80s, so this is something that I have been aware of since that time, Um, so all the way since I've been growing up. Um, And then also when I was in, uh, starting when I was high school, um, some of my male friends would approach me and tell me about um, some of their own sexual abuse um, or rape experiences that they were having, just not knowing my father's uh, work at all. Uh, And so, in a way, I was having sort of my own experiences um, that, and, and, you know, male sexual abuse is so unique because men are not really encouraged to talk about that at all. Um, so I think in a lot, you know, I, I had never intended to write, I had never wanted to write about rape ever. Um, I had never expected to write this. Um, my anger and rage from the Brett Kavanaugh hearings was so great that I started writing a piece um, in response to it that had uh, two protagonists, uh, both a male and a female, um, who had both experienced sexual abuse. Um, and uh, I, was at, I was in an MFA program, and I was starting an MFA program, on, which I'm finishing now. Mm-hmm. And at the time, my mentor told me, you know, that I, I should probably pick one protagonist. Um, and personal background, I decided to 
pick the the male protagonist because I felt that those that was the story that really needed um and that I was aware that I could bring a very unique perspective to it. Um and and a, and a, and a, you know, a story that's just yeah, a, a story that's not been told um, or not been told enough. Right. To to jump back just for a second, when you talk about your experiences in high school and people coming to you, I'm when I hear that, I'm imagining that you're one of those people in your crowd that is empathetic. That people <laughs> is this true that people would just tell you things. Um, yeah, uh, you know it's actually it's funny that you say that. Uh, my my husband called it my superpower. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that that people do um, strangers sometimes just come up to me and start talking to me and telling me their life story. Um, I, I actually used to also be in social work, um, so that was helpful. Uh, but but yeah, I, I mean I. Um, I I definitely sort of have always had a little bit of a maternal quality. I now have actually two kids of my own, so you know I can actually put that to good use. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a but, great tool for. But, a, but it's a great uh, superpower for a playwright to. Uh, it is. Have it's a very open useful tool. Up, uh, to yeah. stories, character, and this kind of thing. So, and this experience with your your the the work that your father did. I guess the fuse or actually the explosion as you say is then the the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and the the surfacing of the Me Too movement as you say um, yeah I mean for me it, I, I think it was it was it was always sort of I mean it's always sort of inside of me you know it was mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. was always something I was aware of I always knew what was going on as as things were evolving, you know, in the media as as you know, the churches were suddenly being found out about and you know, private schools and you know, the Olympics and whatever. There all of the all of the sort of realizations about, oh my goodness, you know, this has been going on forever and it, you know, this has been going on forever the army. You know, this has been going on forever. It's it's just it's been kept secret for so long, and it's not okay. Um, and you know, with the Me Too movement, you know that was an opportunity for women to really, truly reveal how much men in power have been abusing their positions um, with sex and other things like that in order to keep people's careers in check, um, you know, to, to, there were, you know, there, there was always the, the casting couch joke, you know, within the theater industry, you know, and really a joke, you know, it's, it's a thing. And, and it's, I mean, and you, you look back at some, at, you know, there, there's a lot of things now where, you know, TV things now, jokes about that, that don't land anymore. Um, yeah. You know, they're actually kind of painful to watch. Um, and, you know, it's, I, I think, you know, I said this, um, I just said this a few weeks ago, 
I think that the theater world, in part because it has built itself on the casting couch and a lot of these types of practices, I think that it has not been ready to put this kind of thing on its stage. It mm-hmm. has not been ready to fully expose these stories um, in all the in all of the horror that they really are. And runtime error, um, it's not about the theater industry. Um, it's about the tech industry. Um, and, uh, you know, and it, and it does this thing where, um, you know, the, the protagonist, Tal, lives through, lives through the, the experience of grooming with this professor mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and then approaches him for a recommendation and, professor wants to, you know, is willing to do it in exchange for sex. Um, and, and essentially he rapes him. The rest of the play, Tal is trying to figure out what went wrong. And he does this with, with the tool of programming. And so a lot of the play are these memories um, or try him trying to rewrite it, rewrite the trauma. Um, and, 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 and let me, it. let me interject. Let me interrupt for a moment because for computer illiterates like me, <clears throat> the title <laughs> of the play runtime error refers to yeah. exactly what it refers to well, the, the computer it, message that it, it refers to a computer message that pe- people receive, um, mm-hmm. when, when something is wrong with your with your program with your programming, and you know some like it, it it things are stopping things are things are not correct. Right. Um, and, so and the, they're, they're, the, <clears throat> sorry, yeah. They're, the the main the main character of the piece, Tall. By the way, how old is Tall when you wrote him? The 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 student. Um, so he is a junior, so he's probably about 20. Yeah, yeah. And um, it is interesting that in uh, I think it's probably best that it isn't set in uh, the world of entertainment in any way, theater or film, where this mm-hmm. is. And, of course, we've also in these last, from 2017 over the last years, the Harvey Weinstein case and and these others where men of power have abused this, but to set it in a college setting and the industry uh, that it is where he wants to find a job out of college in tech, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it happens. It, it, it really helps remove from the trappings of the showbiz world and I, I think that's a great choice in a lot of ways. Was there anything else behind that choice um, of of setting it in a in a tech world and uh, with all of these major corporations that are open to Tal uh, to get a job and this this thing that happens with his professor Carson? Was there anything else that was behind that? Because I think it's just it makes it real world for people that when you set something in the theater or in the Hollywood, it's suddenly rarefied. 
and other, you know, but this, I think, helps center it a bit. I mean, I I think that, you know, just trying to have it be a little bit more mainstream, um, right. I think, was, was part of my intent. Um, you know, I did set it in 2017, right before Me Too blows up. I mean, like, literally a month before Me Too blows up, so that it happens during the course of the play. Mm-hmm. Um because I remember when it happened, I mean it I mean it just it just happened. It was just one day it was there and then the next five minutes it it, it was right. you know, it was I mean it was a firestorm. It was yeah. you know, it was it wasn't even it wasn't even like it it you know There was no slow we don't, boil we did, about we, it. There was no slow boil. That's right. And yeah. part of it, I mean, and part of it was because it was over social media, right? Yeah. Um, but also part of it was that I think everybody was just, was finally given permission to come out and say, you know, me too. Yeah, that happened to me too. And I think they were, you know, those people who were survivors were so grateful to be able to speak their truths. Um, And so, and it, and it was, you know, so I did want to be able to include that in, in the narrative of, of this play because it was very important and it was, um, and it was, uh, it was a critical thing that happened. um, But, it did not give a lot of space for men. Absolutely. And, and, that, and that was unfortunate. There were men who were high profile who were able to come out and say, me too, but not, not you know, not as much the everyday man. You know, that was, that was not, there was not a lot of space for male voices. And, you know, male survivors, they have other, um, there's a lot of, they, they deal with different kinds of challenges. Um, they have, you know, there's, um, Men are off. They they often struggle with the the machismo factor. Men are expected to be macho in a certain way, strong in a certain way. Our society expects them to, you know, be these people who cannot be overcome. And so, if you have been overcome, you know, by anyone, by a man, by a woman, any whoever your predator is, you know, it is. Um, that you're expected can, to be. You're expected to it, be strong it, and silent. You're expected to be strong, and so so that that leads to a, a whole different level of shame beyond mm. what, um, beyond the sexual abuse itself or beyond the rape itself, um, and and in many ways, it you know that that has that has complications within it. Um, and it makes uh, it has historically made it harder for men to come forward. Um, you know, there's there's sort of the the numbers about you know the percentages 
that that float around, you know, is that one in four women have been sexually abused or raped and one in six men have been sexually abused or raped. And, of course, that is only based on what is actually reported because... Right. So these aren't real numbers. Well, that's yeah. all they have. Yeah, so who who knows how much that actually is. So... I and mean, it's um, you know this is a this is an interesting twenty is an interesting age to be because we're still children. I'm not going to waste a lot of time with armchair psychology and that kind of thing, but we're still forming and we're still growing. And uh, most people's sexual journey begins eleven, twelve into their early twenties both by biologically what's going on and then what's happening with people around them. So it's obviously, and all of us recognize this, it's a confusing time um, when, when issues of trust are broken, when lines are crossed, an enormous amount of confusion and feelings. And, and you're right, um, in my own experience, from about that time, 14 to 20, a number of things mm-hmm. happened that, we're just basically a very, very confusing thing. And really there's, there's, because it's not part of the fabric of our society, we're not, I think as, as humans, when, as Americans, <clears throat> we're not relaxed about sex at all. We, we, there's layers upon layers of problems. Right. Let me jump to, I'm curious, um, as a playwright, mm-hmm. your pro- just some things about process because, Tal is a 20-year-old 20, 20 young man. So what mm-hmm. was, I, you know, I personally love the research period of, a, you know, working on a piece and this kind of thing. You're drawing from all of this information and then sparked by the events of a couple of years ago. So how do you write a 20-year-old young man? What was your... What was your? What do you remember about your process and the evolution of the characters from that point where an advisor said uh, to a piece that you were working on that you know pick one? What? What? How do you? Do, how do you come to Tall? You, you know, I, so I had, so I, I had both the characters of Tall and Celia. Um, they were best friends. I always had those characters, um, and. And, but they were not on the campus in the first, in the first early drafts. Oh, wow. They were, I think they might have been in their internships um, and living with the grandparents. That might have been mm-hmm. the situation. Um, and, and all of the interactions, I mean, I have to look back at what the drafts were like. I haven't looked at them in so long. Sure, um, yeah. and, and, you know, this was probably, I mean, I really wrote, I really wrote this quite immediately after the hearings. I started, I mean, so, you know, the hearings were in October of 2018. Mm-hmm. I literally poured my rage onto my computer Fairly White immediately, yeah, yeah, yes, and and the next month I started grad school, um, and I think I I kept with, I 
had to pause because I because of the work that I was doing at grad school. I, I was focusing on another script for um, for a number of weeks, but when I went mm-hmm. back to it, um, it was like the middle of January, um, and and for, and I, it was the middle of February that my mentor said to me, "You got to pick." One. Um, and you need to put it on the campus. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was so irritated. <laughs> <laughs> I was so irritated um, because, and and part of why I was irritated was, you know, um, because I did want to be able to show both points of view of of sexual abuse. Um, but I think. There's a little bit of that that does, I feel, get that gets accomplished in this script. I feel like there was a little bit of that that kind of got accomplished. For sure, Tal is the protagonist. There's no question about it. But there are some complicating factors that end up happening, which I am not going to, you know, I'm not going to let that yeah, secret no, out. But I'm, I'm, I'm biting my tongue because there is yeah. a nice complication. And these There's layers. a complication that happens. There is a complication that happens. Yeah, yeah. There is a complication that really comes out of the thread of that friendship between and and Tal. Um, Right. And then, too, I also have some shades of it in in how he is trying to fix things in his, um, in what I call the fantasy scenes. Um, Right. Where he is, where he's trying to reprogram his memories, um, and and some of the characters get in in different roles, um, and so the audience ends up being able to see how people react in different gender roles, um, mm. in addition to how he's trying to fix it. And, you know, I wanted to sort of point that out as well, because I feel that that's important. I, I feel it's important to to note that, you know, if a female student is in a room, she's more like, the, it's more likely that she is going to have been trained on how to watch out for herself than a male student. Sure. It is not really the case that we think about, you know, you know, the, the, the boys or men in our society and and think, hey, we should train them on how to watch their backs. Right. You know, we don't we don't think about that because again this goes back to the machismo factor. Do we think of boys and men as being vulnerable? We don't. Right. They should we should think about that. We should have the conversations with our with our children both male and female and in between, who all have that vulnerability, you know, to say, if you are in a situation where you feel like someone is possibly, you know, crossing a line, you need to get out of there. And here are the ways to do that. Like, we have those conversations with people at actually a surprisingly young age. Um. And and that's unfortunate that we yeah. need to do that, but it is especially true because those people who are doing the the t- 
taking advantage of those situations are almost always people who people know. Yeah. Almost right. always. It is, it is, you know, there's this perception that sexual abuse and rape happens with strangers. And, it, you know, there's date rape, you know, that maybe you've met the person once or whatever. Right. That is definitely a thing. That's still someone you know. But it is absolutely true that someone in your family, someone who is a peer, someone who is a teacher, all of those people in your trust circle, those could be possible people who could be predators. And it's not really a fun way to go through life thinking, you know, I got to watch all the people that I trust. But at the same time, you also have to provide that training to the people to say, while trust, you also need to know how to be on alert. Absolutely. And in Runtime Error, it is set mostly on this college campus at this college in Colorado. So this is a... This is a place where there must, where it's assumed naively that there is infinite trust and safety because it's hard enough to get through. Right. You've got to do your work. And right, at right, the right. same time as an undergraduate, again at that age, life is bombarding you with all kinds of things, testing, honing your social skills, your friendship-making ability, and it is so easy to cross these lines. And so to set it right. up between a student and a teacher is, is great. Obviously, someone watching Runtime Error can translate this to a job and a supervisor at a hospital. Yes. At another, yes. At a, you know, wherever there is the ability of advancement or this kind of thing. And, and not just the, again, the glitzy, thin veneer of, Yes, it happens in the theater and in entertainment um, because that power is so quick and ephemeral because projects come and go. But a teacher and a student can have two to four years together. You know, a job sure. is open-ended if you're not fired or don't move. So um, it's, it's well, particularly and, you know, acute seen... for, it, for it to be set where it's set, I think. Right, and I would say that, you know, I picked on theater because I feel that theater has, has, you know, been showing a lot of ugly sides recently, but Mm. it is 100% true that it is not just a theater industry. I mean, politics has also, I mean, so many people have fallen, you know, because of, you know, all kinds of sexual assault stuff and, you know, uh, like I said, Olympics, medical practices, um, church, you know, there's been, there's been so many, so many, I mean, you can pick any industry and you will have, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the tech industry has had its share. Um, and so I, I don't want to say that any industry is safe from this practice. It's not, you know, and that's part of what is so unfortunate, you know, yeah. um, I will say that, you know, 
the way that I'm positioning some of it is is very specific to American culture because of how Americans deal with sexuality within our country. Um, and not sexuality well. is dealt with. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. not, but it, but different cultures deal with sexuality in other in in different ways. Um, you know, we talked about that on uh, in the in the roundtable um, right. a few weeks ago. Um, so, uh, so my my thing is is a little bit more specific to American culture, um, but yeah, go ahead. You said something about uh, a few minutes ago that you, um, you you're writing. You didn't want to write about rape. You didn't want to write. Um, yeah. Who, what What was the hardest thing to write in the in the pro- process and the drafts of writing Run Runtime Error? What was What were the difficult things that ass in chair keyboard? You got to work. You got to get it done. You're doing. What were the things that maybe were hardest? Oh, well, writing writing the character you're playing. <laughs> <laughs> writing writing right, Professor right Carson. Into that one. Well, that that colors um, our relationship forever now. That's okay. <clears throat> well, I mean, you know, I mean, it's 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 one hundred percent true because I mean, writing Professor Carson is is um, you know, I I have to I have to I have to put myself in the in the mind of a predator. Uh, which is very uncomfortable. It's not, you know, it's not what I like having to do. Um, not, you know, it, you know, it's not, it's not melodrama. So he's not a fun villain to write. You're, you're, you're no, this isn't like the, to... this isn't like the superhero situation, right? <laughs> you know, right. this isn't, yeah. uh, this isn't WandaVision. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's, it's really it's it's accessing um a a really deep 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 darkness um that was really super challenging for me by the time that I was accessing that part I was working with a different mentor and he was really uh you know he was really encouraging me to lean into the darkness mm-hmm. um and uh I worked on on this piece with him probably the most, um, and it, it was it was a it was very 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 hard. Um, and I remember having multiple conversations with him. Um, some of the conversations I also had with my peers at grad school, um, you know, just about dealing with that, you know dealing with that character um and and what it meant um about me and what it meant to be writing that character and um and I you know I'm still sort of dealing with it you know it sort of comes up again um even yeah. in rehearsals sometimes I'm kind of like oh I I really I'm really I wrote that um, you know, and, you know, he kind of, I'm not going to lie, Professor Carson still makes me uncomfortable. Um, yeah. but too, and I know that. Um, but, but I kind of have to continue to get, and this is a very weird thing to say, I as the playwright have to continue to get comfortable with Professor Carson as my character constantly. Yeah. 
and as yeah, a weird as thing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I get it. Uh, the you know, as the play finds an audience, as the audience play, finds it, and you begin to live with it longer. We talked about this the other day, uh, and begin hearing uh, how how it, it's working. And writing it, it seems that you had a really wonderful because you you did this with a mentor and a fellow students that there was a nice rhythm of the old right with the door closed, uh, rewrite with the door open, that there was a nice give and take during the process um, in, in, in creating it. Would that be accurate? Or? So I, because I think, I, I think extreme. now coming me coming to yeah. play now with the reading uh, in May of 2021 it, the parts fit very well uh, to me. I um, well, thank you. Um, I I work regularly with two playwriting groups here in New York, mm-hmm. um, and I am extremely fortunate to have had access to some actors who would regularly read for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would regularly provide tissues for them at the end of readings <laughs> because yeah. they were just like a wreck. Um, so I had a lot of support during the writing of this script. Um, and, and I feel extremely lucky to have had that. Um, so in it, so I had two wonderful mentors who really helped me. I had my friends at grad school, um, mm-hmm. and I had two playwriting groups. And the whole script was really written within a year, which mm-hmm. in playwriting terms is actually pretty fast. Um, so it was, um, you know, and I think I... I, then I think I sort of, mm, I'm trying to remember when I started like futzing with it again. I Maybe I futzed with it as we closed in on the pandemic. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, no, maybe it was, it was, maybe it was earlier this year. But uh, I, you know, I, I did a little bit of editing at some point. Um, I sort of paused in, in, in October of that year and then I sort of, I think I did it maybe this past fall. I think I did mm-hmm. a little bit maybe this past fall. So, you know, I took a year off. Um, but, yeah, so, like, there there are things that you sort of, you go back to it and whatever, you know, and then I, I did some work, you know, now with Transformation Theater. Um, and, you know, it's, each time you know you go back and you look at it, you kind of look at it and you say, "Well, does that still work? You know, sure. the world has changed a little bit. Do I need to shift anything?" Um, sadly, well, I don't. I don't know that this particular story. I think it might be, you know, because it's set further back. I don't, and it's about one of these kinds of issues that is ongoing in life. I'm not 
sure how much more I'm going to need to change stuff. We'll see. I don't, yeah, uh, just uh, chatting now off the top of my head, I can't see a lot of that because deceptively, not deceptively is not the right word. You've already made it a period piece for a very good reason, but everything that happens in it happens daily and will happen again tomorrow to somebody. So it is constantly contemporary. Um, Right. And, you know, the interesting thing, the next thing, we we see light with COVID-19, with the pandemic, we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel plastered with caution signs. As mm-hmm. we, and we chatted about this the other day about theaters mm-hmm. reopening, getting audiences right. in the space, getting plays on their feet, letting theater happen. And mm-hmm. Runtime Error is an v- incredibly visual piece. And you have yeah. built some things into the script on the page um, because the character of Tall is trying to sort things out and fix things and is on the computer. There are, just for the listener, just to make it simple, there are projections and video. There's a, a, a very bare stage sort of we can be where we need to be, whether we're in an office, uh, the teacher's office, or whether we're out on the campus outside, and yet to get into, and you have very specific visual ideas about what a production designer and a director should and should not do to get into these so-called, into Tal's head when he's, uh, the the fantasy scenes, which aren't fantasy scenes. That's misleading to a listener. Um, but it's incredibly visual. Well, I, so I, a couple yeah. of things, um, whatever that just, just triggered for you to think about, but had you worked on theater pieces before that? Uh, because so much can be done. It's so much easier to do these kinds of visual uh, things and projections. So uh, the multimedia was something that we added in um, just in the past couple of months. Um, mm. And uh, I, I actually do have another piece that um, incorporates multimedia. I just, I just finished it. It was my thesis. Um, mm. it, and and it's, uh, it's called Jagged Journey. And it's, uh, it's about my relationship with my epilepsy. Uh, wow. And the multimedia that I use for that um, is really to indicate when the protagonist is having um, some sort of like minor seizure called a petty mal, right. um, or a major grand mal seizure. Um, in in that particular. Script epilepsy is actually also a character, so oh. it's a it's a fun kind of weird fun. piece. <laughs> it's a fun piece. Um, it's 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 not like it's not a downer piece. Actually, uh, epilepsy is kind of a fun character. Um, she's she's kind of hilarious. Um, and I'm so curious now. I mean, I just just oh, just on just on that. But I was also, as you were talking about Jagged Journey, uh, I, my brain leapt to 
I'm sitting in the audience and what can be done to communicate, uh, but on the audience side with Uh light or things to, I don't know. I just, no, 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 no. (laughs) And that would be, that would be the, um, that would, that's the first thought that one has, you know, haunted house. Well, you know, that's right. No, you don't, you don't, don't, and, and you don't want to trigger, uh, an epileptic seizure, somebody who's photosensitive. Of course. You, you don't want to do that. But, right. Um, no, what so else actually can you I do have a, Yeah. So the, the multimedia that I have um, is that, uh, you know, you know, like in, in some of those like old TVs when you would get to like a channel that doesn't exist and it would go sort of the black and white fuzz. Snow. Yeah. Yeah. Snow. Yeah. The snow. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. So that sort of happens briefly to indicate that something is uh, happening. And you don't know what's happening in that particular case. Um, and it happens, like, really briefly throughout the whole piece. And then you sort of discover all the way in the second act what's been happening. Oh, very, you very cool. Um. So yeah, yeah my fir- I, I, uh, well, I'm looking forward to this, and it kind of answered something that I was thinking about is, you know, what are you working on now or what's next? And how many projects at one time do you work on? Um, I'm, I'm going to I, guess. Yeah, when well, something I'm actually. Needs to be bared down on, but, but how, many, how many projects do you juggle at one time? I, I am not great at juggling a lot. I, I, hmm. I can. I I don't like to. I really like focusing on one project at a time because sure. I really um I I really pour my heart and soul into that. Um yeah, yeah. there is a project that I've been working on this semester. Um only my mentor and I have seen it and I have been doing a lot of interviews for it as well. Uh my research um, mm-hmm. and it's not done yet. The first draft isn't done yet. Um, I'm sort of hoping to get it done. The first draft I'm hoping is going to maybe be done by June. Um, <laughs> maybe, um, that's my goal. Um, and, and then I'll probably, you know, have to start working on revisions and, and opening it up a little bit to, uh, assistance from other people, um, but you know it's it's a it's a piece. I'm I'm very I've been very nervous about this piece, and mm-hmm. uh, my mentor has been unbelievable at giving me the space uh, to to really um, lean into the ter- lean into the terror is is what we've uh-huh. been saying. Okay. Is, you know, yeah. lean into the terror and. Uh, this is the same mentor who I worked with uh, on the darkest parts of this particular, uh, on the darkest parts of Runtime Error. Um, mm-hmm. I, I went back and worked with him again. Um, so, you know, <laughs> we've been working on a lot of terror plays. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. So this, this, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, it's, but he's, uh, he's been real, really, really wonderful at giving me the space to, to help me find my voice and to help me, uh, you know, write about a lot of 
really terrifying things that, um, I mean, there's, there is so much that's terrifying that's out there right now. I mean, you just really need to open a newspaper and have to take your pick. It's not yeah. that hard. Um, and so it's, it's really about, you know, what's terrifying to me right now. And there's a lot. I mean, it's been a and real rough year. And that's what you can invest yourself in as an artist. Real quick, I wanted yeah. to touch on, because, you know, I, I, I do love the fact that in theater we can do so much now, technically. It's become easier. It's become so much more fluid. And it's really now just a question of the right designers and that kind of thing to to see, you know, something like runtime error be fully realized with that whole element, which unfortunately is not part of an online you know, reading. Uh, my first experience with this, I worked with a company in the early 80s called Impossible Theater. Mm-hmm. And they were one of the first in America that were using, and my God, was it primitive. The computers crashed, crashed, crashed. It was basically slides, you know, photochemical slides and carousels mm-hmm. to make primitive animation and in building the play, I was doing a number of things on that uh, play called Social Amnesia, based on the Howard Zinn book. And um, computers kept crashing and everything, you know, nothing was working. And I was the one calling the theater owner for a week saying, oh, we're not going to open tonight. No, we're not going to open tonight. No. And then finally, a week later, we opened. We eventually toured. They took it to Brooklyn Academy of Music, I think, in 86 or something. But uh but nowadays, yeah, and so that's a whole other element of runtime error that in storytelling is something that I'm looking forward to uh, down the road, seeing seeing what happens with its first production somewhere. The, uh, the, um, you had uh, uh, submitted it. Um, yes. Eugene O'Neill. Uh, yes. Which, congratulations that it was um, a runner-up. Uh, which meant it was a semi, that, yes. so, so yeah, so congratulations semi. on that. Thank you. Um, I was, that's wonderful. Yeah, uh, a friend of mine uh, really encouraged me to send something in, and I thought that this would be a good a good thing to um, mm-hmm. I was uh, truly astonished when I got the the message that it was a semifinalist, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry it didn't move on to further rounds. I'm, I'm really pleased that, uh, you know, some of my other peers have moved on to further rounds, and I, I really look forward to hearing who who gets to go to the comp, but I, for right now, um, I'm really glad that this one uh, made it as far as it did. And and I'll I'll definitely be submitting other work to them in the future. Yeah, and it is wonderful news also because you know this is hard for a playwright. Yeah, to mm-hmm. um, you need an audience, <laughs> and the process, the time it takes for a play, not just to grow and but to get to audiences uh, and have a play done. So this is wonderful, and it's a good sign that. Um, Theaters will be interested. I mean, is there something I don't know? Is there the possibility of, uh, is, are, can you talk about, is there a theater that's thinking about doing runtime error as a full I production hope so. in the future? <laughs> okay, we'll charge you. And we'll come back I, I mean, with all kinds of I, news. I, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope so. I, you know, I've been definitely doing script submissions. Um, yeah. I know that, you know, theater is sort of in this sort of weird space right now where it's trying to figure out whether or not it's going to be coming back in person, uh, yeah. online, whatever it's doing. And I know that um, this is a complicated piece to think about doing yeah. um, virtually, but um, I, I'm hoping that, you know, as people are having conversations about returning in person, that, that this will be a piece that they will consider, because I, I do think that it has a place um, for our audiences to to really think about what else is, is going on for them socially, what else has been existing in um that we have not been confronting and and not been talking about um you know there there are a lot of those topics that are out there and this is definitely yeah. one of them absolutely and um as a produced playwright as a working playwright you are still if you're anything like me you're still getting going you're just getting started but uh i am curious about how you got started, and real quick, <laughs> I need you to tell me about your very first play and the thing that I'm oh, thinking goodness. is, and I'm thinking, <laughs> and did it, and just, I'm curious, did it light the fire? Did it really uh, say, hey, making theater is kind of what I would like to do? I mean, tell me about it. Okay, so it it's very fortunate that this is Teacher Appreciation Week, for this story, <laughs> okay. um, because without this teacher, I would not be what I am today. So when I was seven years old, and I am not when I say this, um, you know, the, in, in child development, that's when you're learning, you know, right from wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So I wrote a play. Um, I, I got taken to a lot of theater when I was young. Um, mm-hmm. growing up in New York, I, you know, my parents were very into theater, so I got taken to a lot of theater. Um, so I guess, you know, that was sort of in my head, and I wrote a play called The Good Butterfly. So, you know, there was a protagonist who was the good butterfly, and there was the antagonist who was, and I don't remember what kind of creature the antagonist was, but he was the bad guy. You know, you had your basics. And, you know, the antagonist went around doing bad stuff to bad creatures um, or or to gurs and, you know, the good butterfly saving them. Um, My, I sort of decided that I was, my my first grade teacher um, allowed the entire class to put this play on in the auditorium for our parents. I was the director, and I was in it, which I don't recommend. Um, And after that... uh, I I was like, okay, well, 
I might be a playwright when I grew up. I also thought I might be a director. I was a stage manager for about 10 years. So, it, you know, mm-hmm. it was in there. Um, but very, but very yeah. cool. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> See, and I'm, I'm a couple years ahead of you, and I started late. I was doing skits, coincidentally with a best friend whose name was also Mark, in kindergarten, first grade, second grade. First play uh-huh. I wrote was third grade, so I'm a little bit behind you. And because of my era of the 70s, um, it again was a good guy, bad guy thing, but it was very specifically a uh, top-hatted villain, mustachioed kind of thing, because there was this weird thing in the early 70s of so much nostalgia, retro, uh, whether it was in music or whatever. But uh, I check with your story. And I connect with that so well. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You know, I get it. So, uh, very, very cool. Um, thank you for spending the time talking about uh, your work. Thank you. Run, runtime error. And, um, you know, here is to the future where it uh, gets its gets on its feet in a, in a room with an audience at some point. Uh, hopefully sooner than later and you know all of us just proceed with caution as because i get you know dings and messages every day from theaters all over the world this is their date of opening with you so you just well i think theater i think theater will be back i think theater will be back i just think it will it will look a little different and i think it will incorporate some aspect of hybrid um and you know, I also think that playwrights will probably have to adjust a little bit for that. But this script, I think, is definitely better on the stage. I'm extremely yeah. grateful that it is having a virtual production, though. I'm extremely With- grateful that it's having a virtual production. Thank you for listening. I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation with playwright Alana Gartner. You can follow the progress of Runtime Error, her newest play, and future work on her website, alanagartner.com. And you can follow the work that Transformation Theatre is doing, D.C. area theatre company, uh, headed by Carl Randolph, at transformationtheatre.org. Thank you so much for listening. We have uh, many more interviews with uh, creators coming up, actors, musicians, authors, playwrights, screenwriters, so much more. Um, We hope that you've been enjoying these, and as always, thank you for subscribing, and thank you for listening. I'm Mark Redfield. Until next time. Redfield Arts Audio. Great tales told well.